now that we have these two features highlighted, right? Absolute scarcity and being a peer-to-peer -peer network and the value that these features bring you. And we also have some, you know, background on the monetary system in the US and, and how it functions. Here, I'd really like to go to, you know, why Bitcoin will succeed. And I think the best argument comes from Robert Breedlove, where he describes Bitcoin as the apex predator of financial assets. Here's the deal. When, when the money is broken, you know, for example, doubling the money supply in two years, when the money is broken, you can't save in the money, you know? It's, it's just printed and diluted, you know? So when you can't save in the money, you need to find other ways to store your value, right? You can't have the money in a savings account. If governments are printing money at accelerating rates, every time new money enters the system, your savings account is diluted. And so the current system we have, it's one, you know, the US dollar system, it's one that encourages investing and discourages saving. So, you know, anybody who understands how money works, really, they don't have their money in a savings account. They have almost all of their money invested because investing is the name of the game. If you aren't investing, then your money is falling behind. And the problem is that this monetizes, you know, turns into money, you know, all these things that are really bad at being money and has very perverted impacts on, you know, the human lifestyle, human flourishing. You know, let's look at one example, okay? Let's look at a house, okay? A house is supposed to be worth whatever the utility of, you know, shelter and running water and a place to cook and a place to rest, right? A house is just supposed to be worth whatever the utility of the things that, you know, you can do in a house are worth to you. But when the money is broken and you can't store your wealth, store your time, store your labor in the money, then you need to find somewhere else to put it. And so there are all these people buying homes not to live in a home, but hey, the money's broken, I need to find somewhere to put it. And so the, the demand for homes rise and, you know, along with the demand for homes rising, the price rises as well. And so the, that's an, an inflated price. And, and the, the price that a home would be, you know, just based on its utility, let's say it's $100, versus the price that a home is um, in the real world because the money's broken is $150, right? Then the difference between those prices is the monetary premium. That would mean, so if a house's utility is worth $100, but it's selling for, you know, $150, then that $50 would be the monetary premium. Okay, the, 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 we're turning the house into money, 
because money needs to be a store of value and the dollar isn't acting as a store of value so people need to store value elsewhere so they look to houses and everybody bids the price of houses up not because they want to live there just because they need to keep their money safe and so now houses are worth an inflated amount of money not because they're doing any better at at being you know shelter and uh, and a home for people no it's because it's because the money is broken. All right, let's look at index funds, okay? So these, you know, stocks, you know, an index fund is just a, a, a group of stocks, you know, a group of shares of companies, okay? So with an index fund, you know, you can own shares of, of, of a whole, you know, bunch of companies and um, you know, they used to be used to, you know, retire. I mean, I guess they're still used for retire, but, you know, all of these index funds, you know, they give out dividends to people. And people used to, you know, buy a stock and then, hey, this stock gives me a dividend. You know, this $100 stock gives me a dollar every uh Every quarter, let's say every, every three months, this stock gives me a dollar. And so people would invest in index funds so that they could have a recurring income come retirement. Okay. But that's not really possible anymore. It, it is possible, but it would take an obscenely more amount of money because the money's broken. You can't put your money in a savings account. So you need to store it elsewhere. So people just funnel their money into index funds, you know, whereas, right, the stock is supposed to be worth, you know, literally the, the future cash flows, you know, and, and a, a discounted based on how far they are away. But a stock is literally supposed to be worth, you know, what the profits of the company are in the future discounted to today. That's what a stock's supposed to be worth. But now stocks are by any fundamental metrics if you read any investing book from you know the 1900s by any fundamental metrics stocks are incredibly overvalued so overvalued and it's because they have a monetary premium there's so much extra demand for these stocks because people know that you can't keep your money in the savings account right so People blindly, you know, invest it in these stocks and their values balloon up. Their values get inflated and they get a monetary premium built onto them. You can't save in the money, so I need to save in something else. I'll choose to save in stocks. Stocks are becoming money because people are looking for somewhere, you know, to store their value, which is a property of money. And you need to think of the unintended consequences of this because when we monetize houses, that prices out the average person from ever being able to buy a house. You know, I would love to buy a house. I would love to ha buy a house and raise a family, but I have to compete with all these people buying houses just to 
keep their money, you know, just to store the value of their money. I have to compete with all these people that are trying to buy a financial instrument. You know, I'm just trying to buy shelter. I'm just trying to buy property and have a place to live. But I have to compete with the financialization of houses. You know, and with that comes Wall Street and BlackRock. Remember from two episodes ago? Number one home buyer in the U.S., you know, getting near free loans from the Federal Reserve putting it in houses because the money's broken, there's nowhere else to put it. I have to compete with BlackRock to get a home because the money's broken. You know, and it's the same thing with the index funds, right? No, you can't buy index funds to, you know, retire off of that uh, dividend income because there are all these people that are buying index funds, not for that purpose, but because the money's broken and they need to store their value. You know, this is this is the same with with all, you know, commodities, you know, in in times of, um, you know, economic stress and, you know, in times of uncertainty. Commodities all gain monetary premiums and it doesn't take too much to realize that this is really bad. This is anti-human. This is against human flourishing, okay? Think about it. If, if wheat gets a monetary premium, people starve because people need to buy wheat in order to, to eat food. Wheat is the input for, you know, tons of food that, that's in everybody's, you know, uh, uh, trip to the grocery store. But when, when the money is broken, and I'm not, I mean... There's a lot of problems with, you know, why wheat isn't good money. So this wouldn't be something, you know, a long-term thing. But, you know, even in the short term, in, t- in times of uncertainty, when wheat gets monetized, people go hungry because all these people want to buy wheat just so they can eat. But in the meantime, wheat is being monetized and financialized because the money is broken and there's nowhere to store your money. The money in your savings account is worthless. So, hey, I might as well store it in some wheat. All right. And and this is a, uh, you know, Peter Schiff. And I, I linked to, to one of his videos in, in the second episode um, because I've, I've learned a lot from him. But, uh, you know, he's very anti-Bitcoin and very pro-gold, which... I, I'm sure you can assume I, I disagree with, right? And one reason that he gives that he likes gold is because he says that gold has intrinsic value. You know, no matter what, gold will always have value because it's used in um, it's used in jewelry and it's used in dentistry and it's used to, you know, create computer chips. And, uh, and I learned this from Nick Carter. Um, I think, I think the, the case is exactly the opposite. You know, gold's industrial use cases, you know, of, you know, dentistry and, and computer chip making actually make it a worse money because the more that we monetize gold, you know, the less 
dentist patients are able to, you know, get a, a, a gold crown put in, or I'm not exactly sure how it works, or, or the less, you know, computer chips will be able to make and the less people that will be able to have computers. If something is used for a reason other than money, we do not want it to have a monetary premium because that makes everything more expensive for people and it makes people who just need to, you know, you know, like earlier, I just need to buy a home for shelter, you know, for utility to have to have property. Um, but I'm competing with everyone else who wants to buy a home to keep their money safe. And so the best money would actually be something that's that has no other use case, that is 100, 100% monetary premium, right? Let's go back to, you know, you have the house that's uh, uh, $100 house, right? The, the utility of the house is $100. And uh, but then it sells for $150. And so, you know, really a, a third of the house is, is a monetary premium. A third of the house that you're paying for, you're actually just paying for a savings account. Okay, but what would be better is if there was something uh, out there that could be a hundred percent monetary premium that is just used for money, and as its value goes up, as the supreme money, it doesn't take away from people's ability to buy a home and it doesn't take away from people's ability to, you know, uh, create an income generating account in the, in the stock market to retire. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, inhibit someone's ability to get a certain, you know, dentist treatment by a computer or eat, <laughs> you know, it is a, a grim time when food is monetized. And so here's the deal. Bitcoin, arguably, is the best money. So, you know, and Robert Breedlove, he has an entire show called the What is Money Show because people don't ask that question enough. You know, it's it's something people take for granted. Oh, we just use this dollar. It's given to us by the government and we need to buy things with it. And once a year, we need to pay our taxes with it. So, you know, that's what money is. But really money should have a few properties. So one, money should be durable, right? So you think it needs to to not erode over time, right? So that's why gold is really good. And, and you know, that's why Bitcoin is really good. And that's one reason why houses aren't a really good money in that sense, because houses require maintenance, right? And even gold, gold requires, you know, in, insurance. You know, I mean, you need to you need to store the gold, right? Portability is a second property of money, right? You know, obviously you can transport Bitcoin. You know, it's natively digital. You can transport around the world, you know, through any border without any permission at any time, right? But gold, you need to, I mean, that's really expensive to transport, you know, especially transporting large amounts between countries. It's, uh, you know, it's a whole operation. Um, money has to be divisible, right? So that's something where gold, you know, kind of fails there. 
um, unless you trade it in for paper notes, right? I mean, US dollars are great at being divisible, you know, no problem with that. You know, Bitcoin, uh, it's natively digital. You know, Bitcoin, each Bitcoin are divisible to eight digits. So one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin is, is called this. And, you know, you have dollars, you have cents, you have Bitcoin and you have Satoshis. A Satoshi is a one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, whereas a dollar is a one hundredth of a cent. But, you know, the point is that that Bitcoin is as divisible as it needs to be. It's it's plenty divisible. Um and it's very clean because it's it's online. You know, uh, a fourth property of money is uniformity. So money needs to be, um, you know, every dollar needs to be equal to every other dollar, right? Same thing with gold coins. Every gold coin is equal to another gold coin. You know, that's another reason that houses aren't great money. You know, I mean, um, we didn't even talk about divisibility. You can't really divide a house, right? And not all houses are equal to each other. And um, yeah, I mean, thinking of uh, what else, you know, seashells, when seashells are used as money, you know, they're not all the same. They're, they're different. When cattle was used as money, you know, that's one reason it wasn't a great money is because, you know, each cow was different. Fifth property of money is the limited supply. And so, right, dollars are bad at money in that sense. We just doubled the supply. You know, gold is pretty good at a limited supply. The, the, the supply only goes up maybe 2% each year. Acceptable, uh, oh no, and Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin reigns supreme there. Bitcoin is absolutely scarce. Bitcoin has the most limited supply possible. It, it was the discovery of absolute scarcity you know the discovery of digital scarcity moving on we have acceptability uh, that's another property of money that's definitely where bitcoin um, falls the lowest on the list you know the dollar is widely accepted everywhere you know gold isn't really accepted anywhere um, bitcoin is accepted in you know very few places el salvador has made bitcoin legal tender um, and there are um, there are, there are ways to spend Bitcoin in everyday life. You know, um, there are bank accounts that, you know, you can fund with Bitcoin and swipe your debit card and it, it automatically converts the Bitcoin to your, to your dollars, but it's not, it's not very seamless, you know, um, it's not there yet, right? Verifiability, um, you know, it's hard to verify if your dollars are real, if they aren't counterfeit, uh, I heard a statistic once about how many like $20 bills are counterfeit and it was, it was a very large amount. I didn't really see a plan for fixing the problem. <clears throat> uh, you know, gold, it's hard to verify if you don't know what you're doing. You know, sometimes you, you need to, you know, literally melt down the gold and, uh, you know, in order to test its verifiability, right? Whereas Bitcoin, if you're a node operator, as mentioned in the last episode, you know, with $250, you can verify all Bitcoin forever. Or, or you know, you could just trust your friend that's running a node, or you could trust a company that's running a node, and it's very easy to verify if Bitcoin is authentic, right? And then a couple new, you know, potential properties of money, something to keep in mind. You know, one is the decentralization, right? And so Bitcoin is decentralized, whereas gold is centralized. 
and and you know dollars are you know centralized all the rules are dictated by a small amount of people um, and then finally adapt uh, adaptability and so you know this is just something to think about where you know you can't really change gold gold can't adjust to to new conditions um, neither neither can the dollar really but Bitcoin is able to it's it's a it's a malleable network. You know, I mean, it's it's very difficult to change the rules. Um, but, you know, if there's some sort of catastrophic, you know, change in in modern encryption, you know, the thing is that the Bitcoin, it's a living network and it can um, it can adjust in order to protect itself from attackers. So that's just one thing to think about is that the Bitcoin network, um, it is a living network and it's constantly being improved and it's able to adapt and adjust to, to new circumstances. And so the idea here is that is that Bitcoin is the best money overall, you know, given the properties of money. And so, you know, all of the monetary premium that's in houses, that's in index funds, you know, that may be in food, that's all the monetary premium in gold. The idea is that it will all be siphoned into Bitcoin, which is pure monetary premium. Right? Because Bitcoin is more divisible than a house, and Bitcoin is more portable than gold, and Bitcoin is more limited supply than the dollar. And so overall, it is just so far above everything else in, in terms of you know, what makes a good money that it will siphon the monetary premium from everything else. And so this is why I see Bitcoin one of the reasons I see Bitcoin to going to millions of dollars a coin. I don't know, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, but I think it will skyrocket to millions of dollars of coin as it siphons the monetary premium out of all of these asset classes that have been forced to be money, even though they're horrible money. And they're causing all these unintended consequences of, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, nobody can buy a house now because we monetized houses because the money is broken. And there are many other, you know, framings to, to look at Bitcoin. Uh, you know, there are many people that are extremely big proponents of Bitcoin and they think that the whole world will be priced in Bitcoin. The, the price of a Bitcoin will be the entire world divided by 21 million, divided by the you know, amount of Bitcoin that exists. Or you know, some people say, hey, money is half of every transaction and Bitcoin is the best money. So Bitcoin will be worth half of everything, uh, you know, half of everything in the world that's transacted. Right. And, and some people like, you know, Greg Foss, I mentioned earlier in the in the absolute scarcity episode. 
He's the expert bond trader that, you know, says we're in a debt spiral. Uh, he sees Bitcoin as an insurance policy, as a hedge against all these governments that are printing way, you know, insane amounts of money and digging themselves into a hole and creating a, a debt spiral. He sees Bitcoin as an insurance policy on on government debt, on Wall Street's debt, on all, you know, credit markets, on all the debt. And, you know, I mean, debt is a, you know, I don't know, $400 trillion market, uh, right? Where, where Bitcoin right now, Bitcoin is tiny. Bitcoin is barely, uh, Bitcoin is what, like $40,000? That puts the total value of the Bitcoin network at, is it's less than a trillion dollars. That is, you know, saying that, you know, this kind of unstoppable network, right, that is trying to be global money is worth less than, you know, a, a, a few public companies is, you know, a seventh the size of, of the stock market. No, actually, the stock market is definitely, you know, more than seven trillion. But I hope this kind of illustrates, you know, different ways to look at Bitcoin and different, you know, ways to view, you know, where it's going. And I wanted to highlight this idea that it's the apex predator of financial assets because that's what makes the most sense to me. And, and that's the most hopeful future where we can take this monetary premium outside of, of goods that, that would be better used you know, in other cases, and that we can have a pure monetary premium asset that will encourage human flourishing.